Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have three amazing guests to introduce to you now. Brandy Wiltermuth is a nurse practitioner fighting for more education on nutrition and empowering patients to take control of their lives. She is the medical director at 3Health, a Washington state-based medical, metabolic, and behavioral weight loss clinic. Alexis Morales is a certified medical assistant who since 2014 has been working to prevent and reverse cardiometabolic disease. Marlene Sexton is a licensed marriage and family therapist, practicing for 24 years and is focused on weight management for the last 10 years. The three of them make up the team at 3Health, whose services include the most advanced treatment options available to those in pursuit of better health and quality of life, not just weight loss. Unlike commercial weight loss programs and standard primary care, 3Health consists of medical providers and licensed professionals who specialize in cardiometabolic disorders, diabetes reversal, behavioral health, and so much more. They all host the For Fat Sake podcast, which is about everything related to body image, weight management, mental health, and sometimes features movie reviews of scary movies. Ladies, what an honor it is to welcome all of you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for Thank having you. us on. Absolutely. We're so cool to have all of you on. Um, please take it easy on me. It's three against one. So uh, try to keep this a fair fight if you don't mind. Um, I'll do the best to capture each one of your stories. But I do want to start with a story from your podcast. I am a huge fan of Topo Chico mineral water. I absolutely love. Oh, no. Yeah, we're going oh, there no. for sure. We're going so there. We're going oh, there. I love. Apparently, well, I thought I loved Topo Chico. Apparently, one of you likes Topo Chico more than I like Topo Chico and likes to start a little bit early. To be clear, normal Topo Chico uh, doesn't have any alcohol um, unless I'll let you take the story from here. Okay, so I was dog sitting and I was at somebody else's house who had Topo Chico and I had never seen Topo Chico before. It was new to me. And I saw, oh, seltzer water. Perfect for the morning. It had mango and I just saw it and didn't really read it. But then I sat down. And I was like, God, it, it tastes really strong. You know, like it had a really strong flavor. And I was like, this is really interesting. I'm looking at the can. I'm like, oh, my God, it's hard seltzer. Like <laughs> it's 8 a.m. and I have to go to work. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, what a horrible experience. We just talked about that yet like two days ago too, That's because amazing. I had another Topo Chico, but oh, don't that, make that mistake. Oh my she God. She's like, have you ever accidentally drank alcohol? And I'm like, um, I don't think so. I've never done that on accident. Did you finish the can? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Why not? You have to. Marlene just point. asked exactly the next question I was going to ask. Like you were two ounces in, you're like, well, I'm kind of committed for the day. Oh. Let's just dive in. Five o'clock somewhere. Five o'clock somewhere. Five it's only somewhere. 8 a.m. <laughs> That'll be fine. That's amazing. I think that ought to be a logo. It's 8 a.m. somewhere by three health or something. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I live in, I live in Utah and we have a very limited alcohol selection. And so I had no idea that Topo Chico made seltzer water to begin with. And so I probably would have made the same mistake if that is any consolation. Okay. <laughs> but this make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> well, I love, uh, I love that that happened. I love that you included in your podcast, which I absolutely love. You guys do such a great job of making things, you know, really serious and, and cover the science and do really great interviews and also some solo podcasts, but you also make it really fun and light. And I really do love and appreciate that. Um, we kind of commented on the last episode that we did where we interviewed each other. We, I definitely feel like family with you guys. It's really great. Um, uh, I would love to start by hearing each one of your stories briefly. If you could just kind of tell us, you know, not only how the three of you kind of came together to make this really unique um, clinic that you have, but also your own individual stories of, you know, what life was like and how you found kind of more like low carbohydrate health. Okay. I will start with kind of our origin story. Um, for me, it started probably about 10 years ago. I was working in a medical weight loss clinic and I had a patient that came in and she was crushing it. I mean, she was older and she was on multiple medications, including diabetes. And we'd uh, helped her, you know, start a low carb plan and she'd lost 60 pounds and gotten off all of her medications and she was doing great. Um, but that particular day she came in, she was very um, emotional and I, you know, looked at her weight and she had not gained weight and I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And when I asked her, she said, well, I went to my granddaughter's birthday party and I couldn't eat the cupcake because it's not allowed on the plan. And, you know, I couldn't 
um, be a part of the celebration. And I feel really bad about that and torn, you know? Um, and that was the moment that I realized that, look, I can do everything in my power to help people with their weight. I can, you know, med- medically supervise them. I can deprescribe, de- I can get the perfect nutrition plan, but if they don't change how they feel about food, it's really not going to work. And I then went to the owner of the clinic and I said, Hey, you know, can we get somebody in here that can help people with that side of it? Cause you know, I had 15 minutes, it wasn't going to be enough time uh, to really get into what was going on with her. Even so, even though I could recognize it, I couldn't deal with it. And I wasn't actually licensed or skilled enough to do it either. Um, so that was the moment when I realized like, there has to be more to it than just helping people lose weight and change their eating habits and things like that. They really need to understand the emotional, social, and behavioral part of why they eat and what they eat and why they eat what they eat. So um, that was when I set off on a quest to find that um, expertise. And so I left that practice and I joined another practice and that at the second practice is where I met Marlene and Alexis And that was actually why I went there is because they already had a behavioral health component and I wanted it very much to be part of what I did with people. So um, we worked there together and, you know, we weren't besties, I guess, you know, we were, we knew each other and we'd have care conferences. So we'd all sit together with the patient and give our kind of overview of their uh, progress and whatever, but um, that sort of imploded. And so when that was happening, um, I had already decided that I was going to start my own practice. I'd gotten a name and uh, gotten, you know, just kind of the business established legally. Um, But then it became really obvious that it was time to go. So uh, we formed a partnership, started Three Health in 2018, and eventually got Alexis over with us. And um, yeah, we've been together and growing it ever since. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I love the the story of all of you kind of coming together under the right circumstances. Uh, For you personally, Brandy, with your health, did you notice anything, um, you know, eating the standard American diet and then eventually switching over to low carbohydrate or for you, for the most part, just mostly healthy for your life? Um, So I gained weight in college. And so I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And I tried a bunch of different things. The most successful thing that I found was I actually did body for life. Remember that? Of course. Yeah. I remember, (laughs) Um, I remember my dad was huge into it. Oh yeah. And so I did that program and when I was doing it, I really like broke it down and I realized that it was actually like equal amounts of carbs and protein. That's what that whole nutrition plan was. And I did that and I gained like 10 pounds of muscle. (laughs) I didn't really lose any weight. Um, so it was good from athletic standpoint and I was getting into long distance running and things like that at the time. Um, but I really didn't learn how to help people manage their weight until I managed my own. And that was when I started working at a weight management clinic and the focus was on protein, although they used a lot of, you know, supplements and things like that. Um, that's when I figured out like fuel, the muscle, burn the fat, um, and the effect of carbohydrates on insulin and fat storage and things like that. So it was multi, you know, faceted. I was helping people. And at the same time I was helping myself because I'd finally got the right information. Um, and working in healthcare is really interesting because, you know, I worked in like oncology and I would have to go over people's nutrition recommendations. And it was all just the same standard advice, the food pyramid, eat all your fruits and vegetables, you know, um, low fat, lean, everything, you know, it was just, and I always felt really, um, like it was so lacking, you know, like, especially for a condition like cancer, like you'd think that there would be more, um, deliberate recommendations for different kinds of cancers based on what's going on with hormones and whatnot, but there wasn't, it was just very boilerplate. And I always felt like that was a disservice, but I didn't know any better myself. So we're, you know, the role that nutrition played in my life as a professional was always very squishy and undetermined and kind of like an area where I think a lot of health professionals just go, yeah, that's somebody else's job to kind of worry about. And I'm just going to glaze over what I've been told to do. And, um, it, it made me uncomfortable, but then when I saw it and I, it helped me, I couldn't do that anymore. 
I couldn't work in the hospital, take somebody's blood sugar and see it be 200, come in, give them 10 units of insulin and then put their crappy diet in front of them on their tray. Like it just, I couldn't do it anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I was like, I'm out of here. I am not working <laughs> in the hospital anymore. Wow, and by the you. end of that, I started telling everybody like, you need to read the Atkins diet book, right? Cause that's like the quickest and easy thing that I could do to educate people in the hospital um, before I moved to full-time nurse practitioner and working in weight management. So um, yeah, it was quite the evolution and I'm so glad that I moved. I moved from oncology cause everyone was sick and dying to, you know, my mindset was I want to prevent this stuff. And I answered an ad and that was the first medical weight loss clinic because they were about preventing all of these chronic diseases by helping people lose weight and manage their, their diabetes and things like that. So I was so lucky to find that. That's such a cool story. uh, I love that. It was just like immediately I knew this is what I want to do. Wow. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I remember late nineties, you know, my dad kind of doing the body for life thing. And it was about that same time, late nineties that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, you know, we did what we should have done. You know, we did the skim milk and we did the peanut butter jelly sandwiches and red vines were always available because that was totally fine. We did snack wells and all that crap. And you can imagine how that, you know, didn't go so well for my mom. Um, it, it, but we were following what advice that we we had at the time. And just, we were all so loaded up with sugar at the time because fat was so demonized. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Alexis, I would love to hear your story. I know you have a bit of a story with this as well. Yeah. Well, I escaped pain management. Um, and I really mean escaped. Uh, I went and saw Brandy on my lunch break at that job because I was escaping. And I met her in weight management and I just thought it was just so fun. Like the the patients were happy and it seemed like a really positive environment. I was like, I have to go and and work here. And Brandy seemed amazing. So I started to work for Brandy and I was suffering from my own weight issues. And I sort of thought by osmosis that I would lose weight, but it didn't happen that way. I actually had to have a conversation with her. So I asked her very timidly. I remember being at her door being like, please help me. And, um, she decided to help me and help me lose weight. And she helped me lose 60 pounds over a year and a half. It didn't happen overnight for sure. But, um, I think that having that experience myself really set me up to where I am today, because all I want to do is help people get through this journey with someone, um, who understands it and can kind of go through the highs and the lows. Cause there will be many highs and lows and, It makes me so excited and so passionate about weight management because the the happiness, the changes, the lifestyle changes that people have in their life um, that affects them forever. Because a lot of times, you know, our business statement is sort of, we don't really want you here forever, but it's sort of like a one and done and you move on with your life. But we want them to carry with them all of the skills and strategies that we teach forever. And I think that having that positive impact on somebody's life is just sort of like the lifeblood for me, right? I'm just feeding off of their feel-good hormones. They feel so good about their life that 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 does it for me. I want to help people. That's my passion. I want people to feel good about themselves. And I want them to feel good through real food. I don't want it to be boxed. I don't want it to be some magic pill or some gimmick or some... 30 day thing that they tried that sort of kind of worked. I want it to be a real lifestyle change and have that impact with them. Uh, That's so amazing. I love that. I love that you mentioned that not all of it was, you know, super clean as far as the weight loss, because we, we look back now and we say, okay, 60 pounds lost year and a half. So just under a pound a week, it was really linear, very steady, just kind of a nice, and that happens for uh, nobody ever in the history of weight loss, you know, you don't, you don't see the times of struggle. You don't see the month long plateau where you feel like you're doing everything well, but stress is too high. Or there's some other factors when, when that's when people I think need the most support and need to know they're doing the right things. They need to just kind of keep going. But when you're in the middle of it, it feels awful and you want to just bail and and do whatever you were doing before. Yeah. I mean, there was a period of two months and I tell most of my patients, this is there was a period of two months where I literally stayed at the same weight, 180.2. I remember very specifically, I didn't go up 0.2. I didn't go down 0.2. It did not move for two months. And she would come to me and be like, I'm not losing weight while she's walking down the hall, having to hike up her scrubs because they're falling (laughs) off her body. I'm like, 
I think things are working. I think it's happening. the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went from like an extra large to a medium in that period, but my, the, the number on the scale did not change. And that was the most frustrating part. Cause I, I would get on the scale every day and I'd be like, Oh my God, what am I not doing? Right. And, you know, I have encouragement from other people, including Brandy, like, it's okay. Just keep going. Um, and so I can sympathize, you know, empathize with our patients regarding that when they, when they see those plateaus, like, Hey, I, sometimes the scale doesn't move. You got to look for victories in other ways. And sometimes the visual ones aren't even apparent, right? My clothing, I just wasn't even really paying attention. It's scrubs, it's pajamas. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so those are some of the victories I, I, you know, I talk to patients about like, how are your clothes fitting? Can you get up the stairs better? You know, things like that. And not necessarily what's on the scale. Yeah. That's a really great point. And maybe a good time to ask, like, how much do you value the scale when you're tracking success with people? Um, you know, I know you guys use the in-body body composition um, scale. I've used that for most of my career, and I just got the home version delivered uh, yesterday, which I'm so super excited about to be able to track with people. How how do you how do you decide you know, where do you put the most weight? <laughs> Punny. Um, where do you put the most weight as far as you know people losing weight versus you know total weight versus whether they're actually losing fat as their weight? Okay, so whenever they do a body comp, which is as frequent as monthly we calculate what is your percent body fat loss in pounds and then transfer to pounds. And we only really want people to lose body fat. And our patients know that they, it's a hard lesson. They don't get it right away. They are still hyper-focused on the scale. um, And that's why we make such a big deal out of helping them understand what the body comp is doing and why it's most important Um, and they, they eventually do understand it. And I think the bottom line is the dieter mentality is really evil and very persistent and it can come back at any time and, you know, try to throw people off, but that's why we focus on body fat loss. We don't even really talk about overall weight loss. We talk about, look, your muscles aren't making you sick. It's gotta be the fat that's causing all your other problems. And then we also have the luxury of you know, doing frequent blood tests. So we monitor all the metabolic markers and we have plenty of people that within the first three months, you know, their weight loss is minimal um, because we're focusing again on fat loss, but they go from pre-diabetic to non-pre-diabetic. You know, those are the wins that keep me going. And we were just talking the other day how like, you know, one person came in, she was like, I don't care what other people think about what I'm doing anymore. And it's like, oh my God, these are the rewards that we, you know, we celebrate. Cause it's like, they finally click and they get it. Right. And you're just like, oh, this is the, the dream come true. It's like, and they go, you know, I know that I'm losing inches, but my weight isn't changing and I don't really care. You know, like those are like, you know, that you've gone to a certain point where it's going to be pretty hard for people to go backward and they understand what the focus is. Mm. Um, but it takes a little while to get there because yeah. that dieter mentality is really strong. Yeah, totally. No, that's such a good point. And, and doing that calculation that you mentioned, I think is so absolutely critical when you take the weight and multiply it by the percentage of body fat and get that body fat mass number to show the actual pounds of fat. I've had a lot of people get really discouraged because they went from say 200 to 190, and maybe the percentage stayed the same, but by doing that calculation, you can say like, no, you lost several pounds of fat as well. Like you're, you're going down the right track and that can be so motivating for people once they see that number. So that's really cool that you also do that calculation. I love that. Well, and I feel like that also saves us because if we can catch that they are losing muscle sooner, we can prevent what, you know, what you saw with metabolic testing is like, yeah, people may, may or may not be losing weight, but just a really aggressive calorie restricted diet does nothing for your metabolism actually makes it worse. So we want to enforce that in people and they do eventually understand it and get to use that tool um, and make it the most important tool, but it takes a little bit. Yeah, totally. That's such a great point. Well, thank you for that insight. Thank you, Alexis, for sharing your story. Marlene, you're up. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about your story, how you found, uh, these two hooligans and how you got involved. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, moved up to Washington in 2003. Um, my husband and I got our last kid out of college and figured they were launched and things didn't work out. We didn't have any kids or responsibilities. So we came up here and I started a private practice 
Um, and I had worked for about 12 years at the time with uh, domestic violence and then abuse issues oh, wow. and then substance abuse issues as well. So I just thought, you know, what I'd really want to, to work with is health and getting people healthier, um, not just getting them safer. So I wrote to a bunch of, turned out I wrote to many of the same doctors at the same thing. They had different names, but several clinics and told them I was willing to do groups for the people having weight loss surgery. Um, it was funny because hardly any of them had therapists on board and they do this surgery. People would lose a hundred pounds and not have any kind of support with the lifestyle changes that needed to happen wow. and the relationship changes that happen with lifestyle changes. Um, so that's where I got in on the surgery center. They hired me to do psych valves before surgery and then few follow-ups after surgery. Um, and then it just seemed like they, you know, it wasn't enough. I really wanted to work more with people rather than, you know, three follow-up sessions. So then when the place kind of imploded, <laughs> Brandy <laughs> saw Brandy and like, let's, let's do this. So that there's so much that food represents to people. Um, and it requires things like assertiveness, you know, food pushers, time management or priority management to meal plan and um, shop and all of that. It requires a whole lot of self-care and self-awareness um, to maintain weight loss. So it's really been an exciting program to, to work in. I still get to hear all the great stories that I've heard throughout my career, um, but I get a lot more satisfaction. It's There's nothing like somebody coming in saying they just got off their medication. Wow. Um, you know, so it's really been quite rewarding. Yeah. I really like it. That's amazing. When I got my nutrition coaching certification several years ago, um, it was nice because I knew everything about nutrition. <laughs> it's, it's so easy. Like, Oh, you just eat this and then you don't eat this. And here, th this is your Tuesday plan. So, you know, at 2 PM, you're going to eat this salad and you're going to put this dressing on it. And that's what you're going to eat. And you started to learn very quickly that like, well, what if little Jimmy doesn't want to eat that at dinner? What if the husband is not supportive of this? And, and he, we kind of joked about it, but it really wasn't that funny. We always had a box of Kleenexes in the nutrition coaching office and it was well used. We made sure that that thing was stocked up because this is very emotionally charged. You're yeah. absolutely right. And you came from such a, I don't know, maybe like a more heavy background of dealing with trauma and abuse. Were you surprised at how many things in common that had with people's issues with food? Yeah. Well, working in, in, um, physical and sexual abuse and domestic violence, it, you could see that a lot of the um, my clients had weight issues as well. And the statistics say that probably about 80% have some of overweight people or obese people have some sort of abuse issue in their life. So I was trained first in, ab in abuse and then now to, to weight loss, but it, it really boils down to self-care and self-worth. And um, so we have a lot of hurdles to jump. And then they're, you know, not so pathological, but we live in a uh, food culture that we bribe little kids with food. You know, if you'd be really good, we'll go get an ice cream afterwards. So it starts that um, connection, that conditioning, that food will make you feel special. Um, and other rules, like you're not leaving the table until you finish everything, or you come home hungry and mom says, we'll wait an hour. We're going to have dinner in an hour. So we learn not to pay attention to those signals that say I'm hungry or I'm full. Um, it becomes more about, you know, getting seeking reward or avoiding punishment. Um, and then there's just, you know, the culture that when I ask people what else they could do um, at a birthday party, you know, what are some strategies you can use? It, there really is a deep belief that you must have a cake at a birthday party <laughs> um, or you're being rude if you don't. And so we work on a lot of strategies, like how can you, you know, and then forgiving themselves. There's a real diet or mentality that I blew it. So, you know, I may as well just eat whatever I want until Monday morning. Um, the idea of getting people to abandon dieting rules and start looking at self-care. And so, you know, I can get to them. Would you yell at your kid if they 
made one mistake, you know. Okay, we always laugh about teaching a kid to read. And if they don't get it the first day, then never mind. You're just not cut out for hopeless, reading. hopeless, <laughs> hopeless. Um, and there's a lot of that kind of self-talk that I never do anything right. and I can't do this. And so I, I work a lot with challenging negative thinking and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. You see how she's the linchpin, right? Oh, she's absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> for sure. No, it's, it's super interesting. Like it really doesn't occur to you unless you really sit down and think about it, that you can go to a birthday party and have it be something more than just food. It's more than just a cake. People don't care. They don't give a shit whether you're eating a piece of cake or not. Like you're socializing, you can have a conversation and yeah, especially yeah. initially you might be tempted by it, but you'll learn that you'll probably feel so much better. And that, you know, 20, 30 seconds of this tastes really good, but I feel horrible afterwards is, mm-hmm. is maybe not worth it in every, situation. And I love that you brought up the whole Monday thing. This is a discussion I would have to have with people all the time during the holidays. It's like November comes around and people are like, well, just talk to me in two months because it's the holidays. And like, I've got a party and like, it's, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up and, and like, okay, hold on. Let's pull out a calendar. Tell me when the holidays are. Tell me when the parties are. Yep. You've got the family party. Here's your work party. Here's your friend party. Okay. That's a few. So that's maybe like five, six meals. Why are you going to like completely go full send from November 1st to December 31st and show up to, to need my help the first Monday in January weighing 30 pounds more? It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. we actually do that with just putting out the meals and, and, and you don't have to destroy everything. You don't have to have everything on there. Like I have a lot of clients that don't even like store-bought cake and then you don't have to worry about it that day. Yeah, perfect. perfect. Yeah, and starting and starting like around Halloween, we yeah. add up how many holidays, and we give like a certain amount of days for parties and gatherings and events and things like that. And we're like, okay, out of the next ninety some days, you've got ten meals that probably aren't going to be perfect. Is it worth throwing all those days away just because of those ten meals? And it's not even ten days; it's ten meals. And it, you know, when you break it down like that for people, it does help. We've had several people tell us, Hey, that made a lot of sense. And I'm going to have to think about it that way. But yeah, I feel like there's ever, never either, um, you know, the logic isn't applied. It's just, again, like rules that don't make any sense. And then there's no safe time of the year. Like, you know, it was just Easter right before that it was Girl Scout cookies before that it was like the Super Bowl, like I yeah. talk all the time about making a dieter event calendar. <laughs> why I can't start right now. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> because these events are happening and it's just, you know, it's just people have to be ready, I guess. And they have to be like, yeah, whatever comes along, I'm going to take it in stride. And we tell people, you know, our program is going to be, it's a three month program to start, but you can plan on being here for a couple of years because that's how long it's really going to take for you to get this as a lifestyle. And a lot of times their initial year of being under our wing, they do really well. Their, their motivations are different, but then the second year they're like, Oh yeah. I remember last year at Christmas, I did so well. I did this X, Y, Z thing. Um, but this year, I don't know why it's so much harder. And it's like, because it was new, um, you were freshly motivated. Like there's a lot of different reasons. And if they aren't going to put in that time to be with us long enough, it's really hard to pinpoint the, you know, the things that are kind of like the landmines below the surface that are going to come out and try to throw them off track. That's why we say, think about being with us for a couple of years, because we need to be with you and hold your hand through all that time to practice and build strategies and life is going to keep changing. That's the one guarantee that life keeps throwing stuff at you. So we have to keep adjusting our strategy and changing things along the way. And people don't like that. You know, they want to hear it's 30 days, 30 pounds in 30 days. Here's a magic pill. Here's the one thing that you aren't doing. Um, But a lot of times in the back of their head, they know the truth. They know that those things don't work and they're really are, they're longing for and looking for something else. They just have a hard time finding it because honestly, there isn't that much, um, there aren't that many medical weight loss programs that aren't um, kind of, I guess, gimmicky or, you know, based on fake food and things like that. So it's pretty hard for people to 
find that. And in a way, it's a little bit of a detriment to us because we are so different. It's not like, oh, I can just compare you to all these other places uh, because we're so different, which we know and we love, but it's hard sometimes from a marketing advertising standpoint, be like, Hey, this is something you've never even heard of before, yeah. but trust us, it's going to work. Mm. So, <laughs> Or like they all pitch an endpoint, right? There's always an endpoint in all of their ads. Whereas us, there's no end. Yeah, It's endless. And I can attest that I continue to learn things. I'm sure you do too, Casey. It's just like, we're constantly on the search for more nutrition knowledge. Cause I can tell you that the medical community does not know everything. I promise you, they do not know everything. They're making new discoveries all the time, including, you know, um, have you ever heard of Ivor Cummins? Yeah, of course. So he's, he's, you know, doing a lot of research yeah, on cholesterol stuff, something that we don't know a whole lot about in the medical community. So there's still stuff that can be learned. Um, and I think that what she was saying about people, they want the solution, right? They just want the simple answer to their problem. And it's never a simple answer. Yeah. Yeah. They also want the like, okay, I'm going to do this for X amount of time. So then I can go back to doing what I was before Mm -hmm. without realizing no, what you did before got you to this spot. Now we need to make some permanent changes. It's not going to be as bad as you think. You're just going to have to stick with it for a little bit longer. So yeah, I absolutely love that approach. And everybody, this was a three health premiere idea. Girl Scout cookies is now going to be an official holiday. So congratulations. (laughs) You heard it here first. Exclusive idea. I fully support it. Fantastic. Um, So so when you're telling somebody about a low-carbohydrate diet, maybe they've heard about it. Maybe saw the magazine at the grocery store. Maybe they saw the Slim Fast, whatever, keto something. Um, What are some of the things that are more on the easy side or more, they give more results in the very beginning for somebody versus some of the things that are maybe really challenging for somebody when they're first starting? Well, I think the key is you have to regulate their hunger. And if I can convince people that that has to be step one, we're not trying to lose weight necessarily. We're trying to get where your blood sugar is stable and you have adequate energy to live your life and not be starving. Um, You know, and that generally it's the priority is the protein. So the very first thing that I try to teach people and have them practice is increasing their protein and getting that volume in and you know I'm flexible like people say I don't want to eat in the morning and I say okay you know you can probably drink a protein shake like let's just get started focus on the protein and then I tell them like a couple months from now you're going to have a protein shake in the morning and you're going to go now what can I eat and that's going to be the sign that now you have to start eating some more solid food because your body's adapted to it. It's not satiating anymore, but, you know, getting people to eat (laughs) real food, um, I think is probably first and foremost, and to trust that it's not just about calories. I think that conversation that I have, so I, I go through more of what the macronutrients do in their body in relationship to insulin and glucagon and how that does, you know, determines what happens with body fat and muscle mass And then the wheels start turning, right? I know that they're in cognitive dissonance because they understand it and they like that information and they get really, really excited, which is super fun, right? But at the same point, they're like, wait, you're telling me I need to eat this much protein? How many calories is that? Like, I can see the conversation that they're having in their head. So I add up the calories and I go, look, you're at under a thousand calories if you eat 90 grams of protein and 45 grams of carbs. And then you have to fill up the missing spot with some fat, you know, like, and then people start to kind of go, Oh, okay. Well, and I've had a number of patients go, I'm going to prove you wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm just going to do it to show you that you're wrong. And they come back tail between their legs. Like, okay, you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I love that. I love the challenge, you know? Mm. Um, There's also, I think, other challenges, like people have been coming to me a lot and saying, I'm, I've been doing keto for two months and I've, I've only lost 15 pounds and, um, I, I must be doing it wrong or whatever. And I'm like, that's actually healthy weight loss, you know, based on their body composition and whatever. Um, so again, it's like just the dieter mentality. And then 
also the other big thing that I see that's really popular right now is um, fasting, which can be super powerful. We know that. Um, but in the, some of my patients, it does nothing but trigger binging because they had that pattern before. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, there's people that just, they promote that one thing, right? This is the magic bullet. It's fasting. You, you, if you only reduce your eating window to eight hours a day, that's all you have to do. It's not even about what you eat in that eight hours. Well, I can tell you, it is also about what you eat in that eight hours. Cause if you eat nothing but cake and red vines, it's not going to work and you won't be able to stop eating after your eight hour window. So, you know, it's hard because I think we're constantly also battling the good intentions and the more um, obvious information about low carb and keto, but it's, it's like, okay, just take that in, but listen to me, like do what I ask you to do. And I put the, the reins in their hands right away and say, look, I'm here to guide you. It's your body. You understand it better than I do. If you, things are working, we're going to keep doing that. But you have to think of it like an experiment, right? And people also don't like that. They want a prescription. They want you tell me what to do and I will do it. And then it'll work, right? And I say right away, I, that's preposterous. How would I ever know what's going to work for every single individual? Like I have to learn about you you have to tell me what's going on and together we decide what the next steps are. So it's a, I think it's interesting that um, there's a, so much of the dogma out there, but in reality, I bet even people who sound very dogmatic when they get in front of a patient, they're more flexible and they, you know, work with that person more one-on-one -on -one, I would expect anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's another human. You have to take into consideration their history, their family situation, what diets they tried before. It, it is very nuanced and it makes it endlessly frustrating if you're in the nutrition world to be able to give somebody like, Hey, this, this works. You should just do this. It's it, there's so much context and, and endless amounts of problem solving that you have to do to really find the right thing for people. One tool that I know you guys are, are really good with using and use quite frequently is continuous glucose monitor. Um, I would yeah. love to hear. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Excited. I love it. Tell us <laughs> a little bit about what a continuous glucose monitor is and how you found it to be helpful with your patients. Um, it's the future. I don't know. Love it. You should invest <laughs> in it. Uh, I have. Uh, so the continuous glucose monitor is a way for you to measure your blood glucose, uh, consistently for a matter of two weeks. So whether that's the Dexcom or the Libre, there's a bunch of other off-brand ones available now on the market that you can pay cash pay price for. But the main point of it is to acknowledge what is happening to your blood sugar when you are eating something. So whether that's, um, for, for me, the reason why I wear it is so that I can understand the effect that alternative sweeteners have on my blood sugar. So I don't necessarily, some of them do, and some of them don't, but also I want to make sure that, um, it's not spiking and, and affecting my mood. And for our patients too, for who are type two diabetic, they're on insulin. Um, maybe they're injecting insulin multiple times a day. They're also checking their blood sugar with finger pricks multiple times a day. The CGM is a great solution to not do that uh, because you can look at it at any point. You scan it with your phone. There's no finger pricks. There's no blood. There's no, you know, um, finger pricks. Again, they suck. So I really like the CGM. We give it to all of our patients. So every time they come in for the program, they get one. And it's just an awareness factor for most people. For type 2 diabetics, it's a useful tool to manage their diabetes to make sure that they're either getting enough insulin or they're monitoring their blood sugar so that they're not going through these hypoglycemic episodes. Uh, did I explain that good enough for you? Yeah, I think so. I think it's good to say it's, a, it's something that's worn. So it's, you know, um, what embedded, implanted, uh, <laughs> every, every two weeks. And it continuously takes your glucose and sends that information to your phone or this, um, you know, dashboard or whatever. So your provider can see what's going on with your glucose. Then you correlate that with what you're eating or doing, or, you know, other events that are going on. Um, and it gives you a multitude of information versus if you're trying to capture what happens to my blood glucose after I eat ice cream, you know, you would have to 
check your glucose every 15 minutes for two hours to get the full picture. Well, A, nobody's going to do that. And B, it's probably not even that useful. You have to know what happens four hours later, right? And what happened in between that. So there's just no way you can get the same amount of information from um, a glucose, a random glucose that you take um, with the continuous glucose monitor. You have all that information, whether you're looking at it or not, it's going to be there. Yeah. So you can go back in time and kind of go, well, what happened here? I was asleep. Oh, that must've been the dawn effect where a bunch of glycogen was getting pushed out of my liver because my blood sugar was actually in the sixties. Okay. Well, and what happens after I take my gliburide in the morning? Oh, it just plummets. Right. And that's why I'm needing to eat twice as much sugar as I want to. Right. So it gives that specific specificity to what is going on the glucose. And it's not necessarily about what's the number. It's about what happened to it. What were the excursions like? How high and low were they? And how did you feel? Because a lot of times people come to me and they're like, you know, I recognize now that that was hypoglycemia that I was having. I thought I was just, you know, tired and I needed a coffee every afternoon. It's like, no, uh, your, your blood sugar went way up after lunch. Cause you had your, you know, whatever. Um, so let's try to modify that. And I've had patients that aren't even really super dedicated to controlling it. They're just looking at the information and going, Oh, well, maybe next time I'll just have a smaller amount of ice cream. Right. And that works for them too. But having that level of awareness and what's going on with glucose is it's just invaluable. And then if we pair that with something like we use the biosense which is a ketone breath meter, then you can really, you know, really determine, um, nutritional and activity events and how that's affecting fat burning and your glucose. Mm. So you're really helping people biohack themselves and get that information and then report it, report it back. So, wow. It seems really self-correcting to me. Um, yeah. you know, it's like having the little brandy on your tricep all the time. And like, you can see like, yeah, how is this yeah. actually affecting me? And speaking of movie reviews, if you've never seen, I'm sure you've seen the movie fat fiction, they do a fantastic job of doing an experiment in the show where they take, you know, three random people, they put them through a higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet, show them their numbers. And these people are like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like I, I feel really good. My energy's good. I don't take naps anymore. Like I ate a meal and I was really full for a few hours. And then they have to go the flip side for a week eating the stuff they ate before. And you're just watching that. This is a horror show. Actually (laughs) the horror of like watching these people, like you have no idea what you're in for. When you go back to eating bread and pasta and drinking what you were drinking before, you guys are going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. Absolutely miserable. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Brandy almost died during her glucose (laughs) experiment. Oh, good. Let's hear about this. Yeah. So we do, um, we offer, something called the craft assay. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but yeah, um, it's a, it's a lot of, for the listener, like a lot of glucose. And then you test a few hours after, right? Right. So it's like a glucose tolerance test that people, women, pregnant women do right. To find out if they're gestational diabetic, but along with measuring glucose, it also measures your insulin. So you can see, you know, obviously as your glucose goes up, you're supposed to have an insulin response that goes along with it. And then it all goes down. Um, so I hadn't had sugar in a dose like that. It was like equivalent of drinking two Mountain Dews, it's hundred milligrams of sugar. <laughs> and I, I drank it in like under grams. two minutes. Oh. And, um, so we were, we experiment on ourselves all the time. And I needed to see if this take-home kit was going to be valid. Right. So not only was I doing the take-home kit blood test, which was a finger poke and you did it in the half hour and then an hour. And then every hour after that for four hours while you're already fasting for 12 hours. And, um, then I had Alexis draw my blood so we could send it to the lab and make sure it was correlating and that it was appropriate and accurate and everything. And by the fourth blood draw, I was, (laughs) I was dying. I was like sweating. I felt like I was going to pass out. And I, I was so hungry that I couldn't think about anything else, but going to eat. And even after I ate, all I had was like a burger patty, I think with a piece of cheese, I still, it wasn't enough to like make me feel better. Um, and it took days, like later on that day, we were having a meeting and I was like, I don't think I can drive home right now. 
<laughs> I was so shaky and stuff. It was crazy. It was the most crazy, horrible thing that I've done to myself in a really long time. In the name of science. In the name of science. Yeah. Um, and you were irritable. Oh, yeah. I, I was like looking at these two. I'm like, why don't they just shut up? <laughs> I was going to say the last time I did that, it was a pie that I could not stop eating. And I didn't think I was a sugar addict, but I just wanted to have a slice. And I had a pie. I had the entire pie. And my anxiety the next day was through the roof. The business was going to fail. My marriage was going to fail. The house is going to burn down and sink into the swamp. Like whatever you can name, like that was definitely going to happen. It really affected my brain chemistry. And so that's maybe a nice segue into a question I have probably for Marlene, but I guess for anybody, you know, there's a lot of mental issues around eating to begin with, but we also know that low carbohydrate diets ketogenic diets can also really help with, you know, mental issues to begin with. And I'm wondering how those things kind of play together to really help people truly heal their issues. Have you, is that something you've noticed? Like the two kind of plan each other? They do. Well, I think with any kind of good self-care and, and awareness on how my body functions well is going to improve mood. I know that they've done a lot of studies that you know, sugar hitting the same reward center as crack cocaine um, getting a, you know, a, an addictive quality to it. I'm sure it's addictive. I have no question about that. Um, and just, I'm cognitive behavioral therapist. So what you tell yourself about things, um, plays a huge part in your mental health. So, you know, we're going to, the house is going to go into a swamp and my wife's going to leave and stuff. It's, you're not going to get a good feeling from those thoughts. <laughs> the subconscious just basically gives you the appropriate feeling for the thought. So I'm constantly working with people on what are you saying about that? I know there's a physical thing. We were talking just, you know, anecdotally about um, as you age with alcohol, getting anxiety after drinking. Um, didn't have that in college. But <laughs> as I've aged, and I think it's the sugar that creates it. I, I don't know metabolically what's happening. Um, it's Brandy's thing, but I know it does exist. So yeah, if you're, you know, overdosing on sugar, I can absolutely see the anxiety portion. Yeah. And when people start really paying attention to that, that's another thing that they'll, we can wean them off if they, a lot of times there's depression and anxiety connected with weight gain, um, just body image and all of that. And they start getting healthier and then they don't need those supplement, supplemental drugs anymore. So with, with uh, sugar and uh, or the alcohol with sugar, that's huge. I see it a lot with, with people like over 50. We'll talk about that. Interesting. I think there's a lot to that for sure. And I, I, yeah, I think, I think we'll learn in the next 10, 20 years, maybe hopefully sooner than that, but we'll learn how much that really is affecting our brain chemistry and how these things all play together. I just, I really love what you guys are doing, how you're sharing the message, how you're working with people in a really collaborative way. Um, the, the, the team, the teamwork vibe that I get from the three of you is just, it's really cool and very unique. I love the podcast. Again, it's, it's a fun combination of, you know, interviewing people that have worked with you, getting deep into the science on experts and all kinds of stuff and, and also making it really fun and light. And, um, I really do love and appreciate that. So if you don't mind, tell us where people can find you and connect with you and your work. Oh, you can find us at three uh, dot health. So there's no.com at the end of that. Um, but our podcast is called For Fat's Sake, and we're hosted through our main website for our clinic, which is 3Health. Uh, we're based in Washington State, kind of around the Seattle area. Uh, you can find us on all of the social medias by that same name, For Fat's Sake or 3Health. They're all interconnected, so if you find one or the other, you'll be able to follow us and see what we're doing next. Um, we have a ton of new events coming up, including a retreat for patients. We have captured them and we are going to take them to a little island where we're going to make them do all of the stuff that we want them to do. Sounds terrible. And also, <laughs> and they get to relax too in a beautiful scenery. We have a, a, a bigger retreat happening in Hawaii later this year in October um, for a little bit longer where they'll get to learn a lot more about our programs, our services, but also work with Marlene, Brandy, and myself on a more personal level uh, and really get to know themselves in a very uh, small and 
captured environment that doesn't involve anybody else but them, right? So you don't have family intervening, they don't have work intervening. It's really just an opportunity for them to focus on themselves. And that's what we want for people. We want them to take a moment for themselves. You know, nobody does that and you absolutely need to. So if you're looking for us, you can look for us from all the social medias at 3Health or for Fat's sake, you'll be able to find us. Awesome. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. Brandy, Alexis, and Marlene, thank you all so very much from 3Health. We really appreciate you and the message that you're sharing with everybody. The retreat sounds amazing. Uh, maybe I'll be there. That sounds great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much for appearing on the show. We really appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you, Casey. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, we have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.